Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Kane and Rids podcast, volume 8, issue 373. We're up to Final Fantasy X, and we're also covering a whole bunch of other games, of course, as we march on through 2019. You can start on your Final Fantasy 12 now if you want. That'll be in a couple of months' time. We're skipping 11. I know some people have expressed regrets at that, but really, we can't possibly do it justice. Even those of us who have dabbled in it haven't played it enough, I don't think, to give it a fair shake. So uh, we're just doing the traditional single-player entries into the series. But in our next five shows, we'll be talking about Fury. That's the one with an I. Then it's Donkey Kong, the original coin-op, and also the Game Boy game, which is a sort of conversion, but adds a whole lot more stuff to it. So check that one out. You can still play that on 3DS Virtual Console or elsewhere. Dino Crisis is next, the PlayStation 1 original, cashing in on all the Jurassic Park action there. Uh, Prey 2006 we're going to cover before we cover the more recent entry later in the year. And after that, it's Inside. Head to canarince.com. As I always say, we do keep the schedule there up until the end of the year. No further, though. The rest is a secret and links to all our other bits and bobs and doohickeys and doobries and outpourings and outlets. Get the show a week earlier than non-subscribers for just a dollar a month. It's really cheap. It's like 78p. It's like less than 0.9 euros. And that's a patreon.com slash Your support is appreciated. PayPal, if you like, we also have a button for that on the homepage. If you just want to throw shekels our way. We have other podcasts too. If you don't know by now, we've got three other podcasts sort of under, under our umbrella. On Wednesdays, we have Sound of Play, which is our love of video games music. We play tunes. We have requests. We have composers. It's a good time. Playwright on Thursdays. Ryan and Ryan invent new ways to play. And on Fridays, Chris O'Regan talks to developers in the Sausage Factory. Subscribe, review and rate to this show and all of those shows on Apple Podcasts, formerly iTunes if you want, RSS-based feeds, smart speakers, Spotify, wherever you get your media. Actually, I should say only the Kana Rinch show is currently on Spotify, uh, but we are there. We also have video content these days. Kana Rinch streams on Sundays live on Twitch, uh, most Sundays at 2000 UK time, British summertime. And then up on YouTube and on Thursdays, slightly more sporadically, but still regularly enough, the HMS Cana Rince sets sail on the Sea of Thieves with Chris and Darren, sometimes Carl, maybe some other guest appearances as well. Also live on Twitch from 2000 UK time and then on YouTube. Follow us as well on Twitch and YouTube and Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. Sorry that bit's getting longer, but we do a lot of stuff. Now joining me, Leon Cox, in issue 373, are Brian Edwards. Hello, hello. Joshua Garrity. Hello there. And Leah Haydu. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> She's already busted Hi. out the laugh. We may hear that again a few times. It's probably <laughs> the thing this game is most famous for, which seems quite harsh on the enormously <laughs> talented team of 100 people or so who made this, uh, this massive game. But uh, we'll talk about the other aspects as well. Uh, and the laugh so yeah final fantasy 10 put together by square product development division one that's the serious people at square published by square in japan square ea in north america and sony in pal territories at least originally and directed once again by yoshinori kitase actually he's got a producer credit on this one with directors 
uh, being uh, director roles being given out for each of the sort of three of the key systems so the event director and a map director and a battle director uh but yes uh, kitase helms the game effectively having done the same on six and seven and eight we'll talk more about the music of course but nobuo omatsu returns but this time for the first time in the series he's aided and abetted by masashi hamauzu and junior nakano I don't know exactly in which capacity. Some of the pieces sound very Uematsu and traditional Final Fantasy, but then at the end, for instance, there's a kind of metal piece with vocals, which I guess is one of the work of one of the other guys. Uh, that's in the, the Jecht boss fight. Uh, I've seen that. Uh, development of the game began in 1999. It was first presented at the 2000 Square Millennium event. Remember that, the Millennium? Uh, together with Final Fantasy IX and XI, Although this early version greatly differs from the final game. Although Sakaguchi showed doubts about the transition from 2D to 3D backgrounds. Although there are still some renders in there, we should say. Voice acting. Yep. And real-time storytelling. He also stated the success of the series was due to constantly changing development and trying out new things. Development for Final Fantasy X cost approximately 4 billion Japanese yen which was approximately 32.3 million US dollars, with a crew of more than 100 people most of whom worked on previous games in the series. That's according to the Wikia. Uh, so the game came out, though, on PlayStation 2 in July 2001 in Japan. Six months later, or five months later, I should say, in North America and then Australia and the EU got it the following May 2002. There was the traditional now, by this point, Final Fantasy X international version in Japan in January 2002. Uh, that's featured some tweaks and enhancements and improvements and rebalancing and so on and so forth. Since then, uh, the game has come out on lots of other formats, contemporary formats, PS3 and Vita, that one arrived in 2013-2014. PS4 got effectively the same game with even more pixels in 2015. PC version got it the following year. Android and iOS got it the following year after that. And then very recently, as recently as April 2019, is come to Switch and Xbox One. When the game first came out on PS2, a lot of people reviewed it from 74 reviews. The average score was around 92%. It was uh, greeted with praise on the whole across the board. Since then, each version has perhaps reviewed ever so slightly less well than the previous one, but it's still only rocking sort of mid-80s on the Switch. The most recent version to have gotten a, a reasonable number of reviews is that Switch version. And uh, yeah, it's still done pretty well for itself for what is approaching a 20-year-old game. User reviews, punters, the IMDB folks like it. Over 6,000 of them, uh, they reckon 9.1 out of 10. On Nintendo Life, they give it the same score. PlayStation owners, slightly less uh, in favour of it, weirdly. Uh, perhaps more of them have played it. That sounds harsh, but you know what I mean? Uh, 8.7. And then the Moby Games crowd, always harder to please. 3.8 out of 5. Don't know the sales for all the modern versions put together. I, I mean, again, this is this is getting increasingly frustrating because we now have. I know sales don't really matter in the end, but it's interesting, and it also gives us a sense of sort of what Square's likely to do as regards to these things in the future, I suppose. But we know that the PS2 version shipped 8.6 million copies as of that was uh, as of December, the end of December 2017. But who knows how many digital downloads? Or in, and indeed disc copies, it's sold across 
the aforementioned PS3, Vita, PS4, PC, Xbox One and Switch. Uh, also want to issue a very large red bolded emboldened spoiler warning for this one because it has uh, plot and it has <laughs> twists and turns and things that you might not want to know. And of course, it is for some people maybe a relatively recent release if you never had one of the previous formats. So you might not have finished it yet. So do watch out. We will be talking about what happens in the game, amazingly enough on this deep dive review show. So, Leah, you mentioned you've got multiple copies. Yeah. <laughs> starting when? Uh, well, starting with the PS2, it was actually um, the primary reason that I bought a PS2 at the time. Um, so it wasn't, uh, the PS2 was not brand new and neither was the game when I bought it. It was uh, pretty close to launch, um, but I, I didn't actually have the console at the time that it came out, so I didn't have it uh, right away. It was one of the earlier Final Fantasy games that I had played. I had played seven and eight and I think nine by that point. Um, but, uh, you know, I hadn't gone back to any of the earlier entries in the series. So, yeah, I played through it uh, close to that launch. That was also one of the first strategy guides I can ever remember owning because mm. there are some. Um, I, I mean, I, I guess you could argue that there's uh, places in most of the earlier Final Fantasy games that you could really benefit from having that. Um, but I, I remember it was specifically in this case purchased for me and it was purchased because I was having trouble in some of the, um, in some of the, uh, shrines, uh, the right. trials where you go uh -huh. to, uh, to pick up your aeons. Um, yeah. so that, that was kind of the, the precipitating factor of me getting into strategy guides for those kinds of games at that point. Hmm. But, uh, yeah, played it through then, uh, have played it through several times since, um, I noticed when I went to start playing for this this most recent time, uh, which I have been playing on the PS4, and I noticed that my PS3 trophies from the last time that I played this in 2015 transferred yeah. over. So they I, do, yes. yeah, I th that they link with that and the Vita version, uh, which right. I don't think I have. That's uh, one of the few. <laughs> but I think um, it was cross buy if you bought it. It wasn't cross buy, but it was cross save. Uh, or, oh, I mean, okay. there may have been sales or whatever uh, oh, at, right, at certain right. times, but I, I don't think that I own the mm. uh, the PS or the PS Vita version of mm. the game. But uh, yeah, I have I have all of my trophies from the last time that I played it on the yeah. PS3 and uh, I'm I'd say maybe two thirds of the way through my PS4 playthrough at this point. But I've I've completed it multiple times previously. All right. Uh, Josh. You were, how old were you when this came out? Yeah, four or five, right? I was 12 years old. Okay, <laughs> so it's, it was a 12, uh, 12 certificate game. So this, uh, yeah, it was in, in, in our territory. So you could have played it then, but did you? Uh, no, I didn't. Um, so when this game came out, I hadn't played any Final Fantasies. Um, mm. As I said in, in that podcast, um, uh, Final Fantasy VII was the the first game that I played, and it was years after it came out. Um, I didn't get to Final Fantasy X until the, the latter days of the PS2's uh, life cycle, so it must have been 2006-ish, if I had to guess. Mm. Um, and uh, I well and truly caned and rinsed uh, this one. Um, I got all the... Uh, Aeons, all the final weapons and all of that stuff, and huh. um, I played through the game again on PS2 as well. Um, I have 
been going through the PS3 version, um, HD, just to remind myself for this recording. And I've gotten a decent chunk through uh, the game. But yes, I, I this was the second uh, Final Fantasy um, I had completed before we started this journey. Mm, okay. Brian, what's your history with Final Fantasy X? Uh, I was a freshman in college the year this uh, game came out, so I had an inordinate amount of free time on my hands for uh, video games. And uh, this was, I think, and I might be getting this wrong, but I, I'm pretty sure Final Fantasy X was the first midnight release I ever attended for a video game in the ah. States. Um, pre-ordered it from a, a little place in the town I went to college and, and went and got it. It was one of the three games I, I owned with my PlayStation 2 at the time. And uh, I spent most of that semester just kind of very similar to Josh's story, just playing that, you know, backwards and forwards and all the way through. And I hadn't played it since until the uh, XX2 collection came out for Vita a few years ago. So I actually, it's one of the, it's, it's now one of the few uh, Vita carts I actually own. Um, and uh, so I, I played it again then and um, played it through to completion twice. And then this time, um, uh, getting ready for the show, I, I put another, you know, 30 or 40 hours into it, uh, leading up in preparation for this. Fantastic. Well, I am very much demonstrably the imposter here. Unfortunately, uh, I bought this game when it first came out in May 2002, even though I knew that I hadn't managed to complete any of its predecessors at that point. Uh, I got suckered in by the, the hype, I guess, the reviews, the fact that it was uh, it was a new generation uh, game. I wanted to see kind of what Square were doing with the graphics and the CG and all that stuff. So I bought it and I actually put a probably more time into it than I'd put into any previous game, bar maybe seven, although possibly even more hours. I reckon I'd, uh, I'd put in 55 or so hours into this. Uh, and I now know kind of where, uh, well, I think I know where I'd gotten up to, but I'm not 100% certain. I thought it was going to be really apparent, uh, but it was one particular boss fight that I, I could not work out how to get past at uh, some point two-thirds or something of the way through the game uh but the thing is a lot of that 55 hours was actually spent playing blitzball which of course we'll talk about later so uh it wasn't 55 hours of just mainlining the story this time around i've been playing it on uh I long since got rid of my ps2 copy probably when the ps3 version came out but i never got hold of that uh i have the digital copy of the ps4 version the 10 and 10 2 collection and my intention was to play it ahead of the show. Um, and I'm fully aware that I'm probably the person who's uh, failed to complete to follow my own rules more times than anyone else. But I do do the most shows and uh, therefore have the toughest playing schedule, making my excuses. But I actually I've spent the last week playing this 55 hours, I think, or slightly more now. Uh, took a week off work, annual leave have done very little else <laughs> since barely barely keeping uh, hygienic, uh, but I still haven't quite made it to the end, sadly. Uh, I got up to the, uh, well, <laughs> I was going to say like the penultimate, but it's not because there's like a kind of a boss rush at the end. Um, so I was just after what I'm told is one of the tougher fights in the game, the Unalesca one, uh, but I, I managed to solve that riddle. Uh, but that's where I'm up to. So I've seen the, the the world is now open to me and I've seen most of what the game has to offer and I've read up about the end. But sadly, yeah, I can't claim to have completed it at this point, but I definitely will because I'm not going to have wasted a week off work <laughs> playing it uh, to not complete it. And I still need closure. 
So there we are. Sorry, everyone. Um, but hopefully you'll forgive me. Here I am hosting regardless. Uh, could have dumped Leah or Josh in the hot seat, but it didn't seem fair or right or, or necessary. So uh, Ashman86, I wanted, uh, I wanted to include this post because it's a nice post, but um, I think it's important to, although Brian and I were the ones who played this at the time, I think it's important to remember what a big deal this release was. First Final Fantasy on the next-gen systems. Remember, try to cast your mind back to when PS2 era graphics looked like the best graphics you'd ever seen and um, and how how exciting that might have been. Ashman86 helps us get there by saying, my hands were shaking as I turned over my yellowed paper pre-order slip to the GameStop clerk. They asked if I wanted to purchase the official strategy guide. You bet I did. And give me a copy of the official soundtrack while we're at it. It was the first time I'd ever play a Final Fantasy at launch and I was ready to show up fully for it. Tears welled in my eyes as the opening cinematic set to Uematsu's Zanakan theme played out. A relative calm before the storm. I tore through the game like a hurricane over the following summer weeks, taking breaks only to my work schedule shifts at my summer job. I wanted to see everything the game had to offer me. Every ultimate weapon, every summon, every secret boss. By the time I was done, I had fully caned and rinsed this game. Is this you, Josh? I fell in love with its music, its combat system, its characters, especially Yuna and Oren, and its world. The game brought me to tears more than once as Tidus embraced Yuna weeping in an enchanted-looking pond and again as he faded away at the game's conclusion. Oh, and I loved the game's summons. Taking direct control of Bahamut in what's probably my favourite rendition of the character is an all-time gaming high for me. Heck, I even like the voice acting for all its shortcomings. And the infamous forced laugh scene doesn't count. That's been taken out of context since the day the game launched. <laughs> now, one of the things that does come up a lot when people are talking about this game is, is talking about the sort of the overarching themes, both in, a, in some senses, uh, as we'll hear from some of our excellent correspondents, uh, that it was actually, you know, quite profound and inspirational to them. Uh, but generally for a lot, I would say my perception is that people think that the story is quite silly. In short, uh, you start off, uh, if we if we say uh, you or one, um, Tidus, uh, or Tidus, uh, there's more of that as well, um, <laughs> is your main protagonist. Uh, he's a kind of sporty guy. He does sports. He's a professional sports person and he's sort of well known for it. Uh, it turns out. Dumb as bricks. <laughs> <laughs> turns out that his dad uh there's a big monster called uh sin effectively in this world of spira uh the devil is a kind of godzilla-esque kaiju uh that comes back to punish us for us uh, punish humans for their sins which if you believe the teachings of the church are various things but mainly using um machines and technology turns out that the sin is uh in the sin in this case is actually titus's dad uh due to uh the fact that he was uh yeah on a previous pilgrimage um which Tidus ends up on the next the subsequent pilgrimage to try to uh collect the aeons uh the summons to defeat sin to bring about the calm again although it's only ever for a uh a period before uh sin comes around again because we are uh humanity is doomed to you know forever mess up and deserve punishment um 
I mean, in a nutshell, that there's there's a bit more to it than that. But uh, yeah, have I have I missed out any key elements? And what do you think about this uh, this slightly kooky story? So you you kind of missed out on the ending, um, which I I don't know if we want to talk about that right now or not. But you that's, can. It's yeah, that's, it's kind of relevant. Yeah, that's where things kind of go off the deep end for me. Yes. Um, yeah, because it turns out that um, one of the kind of overseeing forces, uh, Yu Yevin, um, which is not the same as Yevin, which I am not 100% sure how that works out. No, um, the localization isn't quite clear yeah, on that. Well, well and, and it's just, it's, it's confusing to me. I mean, I'm sure there are plenty of people out there who are very, very up on their... Uh, Yevon philosophy or whatever, but um, yeah, there are, the, so, there are wakas of the world. It's in the teachings. It is. It is in the teaching. <laughs> um, so yeah, so so you Yevon uh, essentially made the people of uh, Xanarkand into an aeon, and the aeon is dreaming, and the dream is Sin and Titus. And jacked, and so he's really a dream. Yeah. Be- but but. <laughs> All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Anybody want to pick up for me here? So. <laughs> yeah. I I will. It's be... all a dream. Is 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 where I really uh, kind of <laughs> yeah. Get they woke to. up, and it was all a dream. Yes, exactly. Um, and t- Titus is a dream, but not not the rest of the the summer's pilgrimage. They exist in the real world, and then yeah. The faith are dreaming that, and the dreams Anarchand, and it, it it goes pretty off the rails at the end there. I I actually, and I I might be the outlier here. I like the story um, for Final mm. Fantasy X quite a bit, and I actually think that it goes off the rails at the end completely. And I I will, I will not attempt to defend that, but for a majority of the game, I am very clear on yeah. what the goal is, where yeah. the story's yeah. heading, you know, where at wait, why these characters are doing what they're doing, where the conflict's coming from. And that's something that I can't say about a lot of Final yeah. Fantasy games. Yeah, it's true. Um, yes. So so for me, like even though um when it when it gets to the end and I remember I do remember the first time that happening and just kind of me being like, oh okay. I mean, how are you gonna wrap this up? How are we gonna explain, you know, dad whale <laughs> up there, you know, kind of <laughs> going around He's um, old man, please. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Oh god. Anyway. At least um, in this one, the final final boss isn't only ever mentioned at the moment that <laughs> That's it true. It's not a giant yes. evil tree. Yes. That's true. That's true. <laughs> it is foreshadowed. Uh, yeah. and in fact, uh, for for a chunk of the game, you are sort of you believe, I guess, that uh somebody who you're introduced to initially Seymour as being, you know, a, a religious holy character. It's fairly obvious what's going to happen. I was going to say, did anyone actually think that Seymour no. wasn't completely evil from the first time you, you see don't, him? You don't design a guy with hair like that unless you're not going to make him <laughs> someone you fight very frequently. Of effort in the mornings is, was my main <laughs> thought. Uh, but he's uh, nominally a effectively a priest of Yevon. Um, but uh, he's uh, he has the traditional... Um, the sort of the we're, in modern thinking, we'll call it the sort of the Thanos school of thought, which is that you know basically, I mean, it's it's more that more so than Thanos because rather than just half, he wants to he thinks that you know everyone's sins should be punished by wiping out the inter- entire of humanity, basically. And uh, well, sorry, is that right? Yes, no, you're right. Um, but the thing is that pe- in in Spira, when people die, they are not gone. Yes. Um, and that's another, yes, that's another big chunk of it is, um, that Seymour 
Seymour dies pretty early on in the storyline, but he's you still kill him. Yeah, yeah, you kill yeah. him. You you that that is correct. But he sticks around, which is yes. apparently not all that uncommon. Oron nope. also dead for the yes. entirety of the story. Um, most of the Church of Yevon dead. Yeah, most most of the <laughs> yeah. a, a lot of the leaders of Spira are actually dead because uh, there, there's a scene where um, I believe it's the trial before you get dropped into the uh, the Via Purifico, and they their argument is well these people are, and specifically I think it's Maester Micah that they're that they're talking about at that point. They say, well, you know, he's been around so long. He has all this knowledge. He has all this wisdom. He's a great leader. Why should we let him being dead stop him from continuing to do so? Which, yeah. on one hand... Soviet Russia went with that policy. Like, you know. I, I, I mean, I guess to a certain extent, I kind of understand where they're coming from. But on the other hand, like, everybody seems to turn out evil when they're dead. So... Mm. Except Oron. Yeah. Except Oron. Well, he's, I do have issues with this. Partly just, I just think there's a, there's a continuity issue with, you know, the, there, there are sin, sin attacks on villages and mm -hmm. tsunamis. And then Yuna has to do this sending. And there's this very beautiful CG scene where she sends uh, all these souls basically to the, what's it called? Far the, plane. Far plane. Um, and that you can go to. Without much you problem, to. you just kind of yeah. hang out in the Guado village and walk up a ramp and, hey, it's the far plane. Let's talk to everybody who's already dead. Yeah, uh. <laughs> not like in another dimension. So Look, it's Titus's mom. Like, what? what is happening here? It doesn't, exactly, there doesn't seem to be a massive distinction. And I think it, it gets even more muddied with the ludonarrative dissonance that is the fact <laughs> that when you're fighting, like, so some I know this is traditional, but again, I like to question the things that we or players and, and fans yeah. of these series sort of just accept. So some people get knocked out in, in fights. They get zero HP uh -huh. or they get death in some cases. They actually, they literally are given a curse and they die. But if they're a party member, you can use a phoenix down or a life spell to bring them back to life. Uh, so, but so if at any point this... Una just decides that she wanted to send them instead of throwing a life spell yeah. at them, that would have been interesting. Yeah. Interesting mechanic. But also, I think it gets even more confusing when you bring in the sort of the status effect that is zombification, which is effectively where you're supposed to be a kind of living, dead, reanimated version of yourself anyway. <laughs> um, and at that point, healing spells hurt you and. Uh, so uh, there's sort of multiple layers of being death and alive and, and maybe I'm looking at it all too literally, but I guess I, I, my point is that even after having played what six or seven of these myself and, uh, and a number of other games in the, in the genre, it's, it's still yeah. Yeah. confusing. That's, it's, that's a pro <laughs> it is, it is a problem for a lot of, I mean, why didn't anybody just use a Phoenix down on Eris? You know, I it just, it's, it's, yeah. Sure. This is not, it's not a new thing, but it is frustrating, I agree, because especially in a situation like this, where the storyline revolves around people actually being dead and in one state or another. Yeah, yeah. And I do understand, you know, perhaps it's, um, again, maybe it's, um, it's a sort of a, a culturally different way of storytelling. I don't know, maybe that, that sort of, co these concepts are more familiar in, uh, in Eastern Asian storytelling where we like things in Europe to be more lit and, and the West to be more literal. I don't know. I mean, but I'm normally quite happy to watch, you know, a lot of my favorite fiction is, is based around sort of, you know, either parallel dimensions or concepts of life and death. Um, films where you're not sure if a character is live or not. I'm not talking about the sixth sense. I'm <laughs> talking about, uh, 
more interesting things than that. But um, yet in a game, because when you do bring all the gaming mechanics in, and especially when those mechanics are full of life, death, and, you know, it's all about staying alive, like all those later boss battles and the ones that I'm ha I've had trouble with and I'm going to have troubles with, it's all about fighting the status of being knocked out, isn't it? And being yeah. dead effectively. And yet the rest of the entire fiction of the game is saying, well, actually, if you die, you're not really dead. And even if you are dead and you're sent to this place, you can you just kind of hang out yeah. there and so on and so forth. So also kind of undermines it. Yeah, it's it, it. What what I think knocks it a little bit down even further than that for me is that. It, I mean, you could argue that there is a disconnect between the gameplay and the storyline, but even within the storyline, mm. when Sin attacks the village uh, where you first see Yuna doing the sending, as you were talking about yeah. before, mm. why didn't any of those people just kind of pop back up like Seymour did? You know, like that's, yeah, that's what I was getting. Is to, it yeah. just it? it I, I they could have explained that away at some point by saying, "Oh, you just have to have a really strong sense of self." I or think there was a line to that. Is there? There, I mean, there might be. It, I, I don't recall one, but I. It's I would not very. It. Again, yeah. it's not very clear or, or definite. It's, it's kind of Again, weak either way. Now, there's there's sort of stories that the, the localization was very compromised due to the fact that they had to have the, the vocals fit perfectly to the existing animations because they which couldn't they change. don't. Which they don't, yeah. <laughs> but they have to. There's basically something about, uh, there's, there's a Gama Sutra piece. Yeah. Effectively saying that if they hadn't done what they'd done in terms of the delivery the game just wouldn't work like it literally wouldn't function um so it's hard to know there were a lot of very stilted you know early attempts at games with speech just for context this was four years after the original broken sword which i think has a pretty strong voice voice performances in a kind of um radio play kind of way uh, but it's also only two years after the English dub for Shenmue, which mm. was, you know, almost intolerably appalling, also hilarious. So compared <laughs> to that, you know, it was kind of it, it wasn't it wasn't in a place that was it wasn't just immediately like uh, even if even if a lot of people find tedious, a little tedious, um, there's there's I think there's, you know, yeah. there's some talent here. What does everyone feel about the script and the performances and the? localization if you got a read on that i kind of feel like there is the seeds of something really good in in all the all of these performances yeah. and all of these characters and 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 what i i imagine a, a you know a less restricted localization would have been for for this game because there's some there's some really nice stuff with like I really like that Titus just straight up, straight up says I ha I hate you to his dad. That's like a nice. I think that's a nice bit of writing, and it and it subverts what you expect from that. You know that arc to usually be like, oh, he slowly realizes that his dad. No, his dad changed and got better, but it doesn't change the fact that he was a massive asshole for most of his childhood. And like, I I think stuff like. Oren, especially, I really like his vocal performance. There are these, like, yeah, me too. these sparks, like these tiny little moments that are really, really nice, but they're just undercut by some really baffling decisions. Um, like, the, the one that drives me up the wall the most 
is the difference between uh, Titus's Titus's uh, vocal delivery when he's just out and about in the world. Hey, I'm Titus. Hey, blah 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 blah. And his vocal delivery when he's narrating, where he sounds like he's the protagonist in some like 1940s noir drama, and it's just I I and whenever he comes in to narrate, he just narrates the most obvious thing that is just like I in that moment I realized that Una might like me. Well, well, thanks, Titus. Thank you for that information. If that wasn't plainly obvious Final from fantasy, the last the wonder scene. years um and yeah it's it's just yeah. so wildly uneven it's just like the it's just this big mix of like high highs and low lows for me yeah Un- uneven is a really good word for it i think because there are some scenes that really work for me and then there's sometimes where you can tell that they just had a very simple line read that didn't quite fit. So like they're speaking either very fast or yeah. there's a weird gap in between the lines because, you know, they just, they just had that there. I, and I am not a localizer. I am not a translator. I don't know what the solution is for something like that, but it, it just, it's almost there, but not quite. And that's even more frustrating, I think, than something like, like Shenpu where it's just a, complete train wreck start to finish <laughs> um but yeah i speaking about uh about titus's um kind of his changes that that part actually worked a little bit for me when i thought about it later now i i'm sure that at some point i will get the opportunity when we talk about characters to rant on how i feel about him as in general but um it, it almost works to have it be a different style uh, when he's doing the narration because he's looking back on it, you know, uh, presumably I'm not sure exactly how because he's a dream or whatever. But um, yeah, he's just he's he's a kid kind of when he's going through this voyage. And I think that's part of yeah. what annoys me about him so much is mm. that it, it's a good thing and a bad thing at the same time, because most of the characters in the Final Fantasy games that we have looked at up to this point and that have existed up to this point have been like teenagers acting like they're 30. Mm -hmm. He's someone who is, you know, presumably in his, I I don't, I don't think they ever give him an actual age, but like, yeah, I was going to say late teens, early twenties. And he acts like it. Like this is what he's supposed to act like at that age. And it's annoying as hell. And I, I think that that's, that's at the same time kind of effective and, extremely annoying so i don't i don't know what to make of that exactly but i i guess it i guess it carries uh it it comes off the way it should question mark one thing i really appreciate about the design of particularly tidus and yuna is they actually look japanese in the cg yeah. uh obviously tidus has got blonde spiky hair uh which you know is a sometimes a fashion thing that you you see uh japanese people adopting um, but it's after all those years of sort of questioning why why do all these characters in these games look mainly like white westerners? Well, I guess it was mainly to do with the setting as much as anything, and that sort of the exotic uh, nature of Western mythology, according to the creators of the game. That's something that we we touched upon before. Um, but here they've made a game that's set in a world that is not a billion miles away geographically from from Japan, and so they actually have characters that look like they're from the place. where they made the game and i think that's actually really nice 
on the grander themes, uh, we've heard from uh, Nii Mitch, apologies for my pronunciation, a new contributor to the forum, who says, I think the main thing that has stuck with me about Final Fantasy X is how subversive it is in its depiction of religious duplicity. Although the game's religious iconography, in line with its more East Asian-inspired setting, harkens more to Buddhism or Shinto, the very name of sin and the political machinations, hypocrisy and corruption that become evident in the Yevonite religion evokes for me the most heinous crimes committed in the name of Christianity over the centuries. Yuna's resolve for her pilgrimage, despite the faith that's been her inspiration being revealed as an unholy sham, is incredibly moving, ultimately culminating in the most powerful scene in the game, where, having finally made it to Zanakand, she declares that making herself a martyr to give the world a temporary reprieve is simply not good enough, even if it means spitting in the face of a thousand years of tradition. The final series of boss battles where you're essentially made invincible are admittedly a bit of a letdown, but the lack of challenge is apposite for Yu Yevon's only appearance in the final battle as a dismal, underwhelming parasite. It reminded me of the fleeting cameo of quote-unquote God in Philip Pullman's His Dark Materials as a pathetic elderly imposter for whom death is likely a relief. That's a really good read, I think. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah that's, I, I, don't, I don't think I can say that better. I do think the the um the organized religion the criticism of organized religion is probably the mo- the most interesting uh theme that Ten explores. I just kind of wish that more focus had been put on it. Um because ultimately um Jekt and Titus's relationship I feel like ends up being like the thematic focal point and it and it becomes a much more i don't know uh, well-trodden narrative about you know parental relationships and stuff like that and i feel like what you know while you know criticizing institutions is nothing new for final fantasy i think going so directly Mm. after religion was uh, Mm. was quite brave and new for the series so i i just wish it was explored more thoroughly yeah, mm. I I agree because I I thought the like watching Waka of all characters, who it was very difficult for me to take anything he does seriously. But he's the one that that actually has expressed the most of like how his faith is constantly being you know over the course of the journey just kind of shaken, and then by the end he you know he he finds himself kind of being you know treasonous to the church, but not but still not really willing to give it up uh, mm. completely. And I find that's that kind of character arc a lot more interesting than than titus and, and his fathers but um and you could say the same thing about um about yuna as well you know willing to be willing to go on this quest where she knows she's going to sacrifice herself but for the greater good and then to have that faith broken and shaken like it's there but um but when you get to kind of the nitty-gritty of the end of the game that just kind of goes you know is, is kind of the footnote um so i would like to see more focus on that too and also, although obviously it's only been in the last uh, five to ten years that SJWs have been cramming politics into <laughs> video games, uh, it's interesting to see that uh, there's the whole section with uh, with uh, regarding religious intolerance, or uh, and where it you know crosses over into racial intolerance as it does with uh, Muslims and Jews in the real world. Uh, Waka won't have anything to do with the Albed because yeah. they're heathens. They're effectively kind of they're sort of atheists, I suppose. Um, or they, or at least he views that they worship a different god, which is the you know the god of technology or whatever. But there's the you know this is actually a game that addresses the fact that basically he's that guy who says 
you know, he he's fine with the Albed that he knows, uh, although he's not at first when he finds out that uh, that Riku is an Albed, but he kind of has that whole, he goes through that whole thing of, uh, well, she was fine until I knew what she was, you know, like... Um, he spends an even longer time not knowing that Yuna is half Albed. Yeah, right. Good point. Yes. Even though the giveaway is actually, she has, um, what's it called where you have, is it heterochromia? I think so. Uh, yeah, something like that, where she has one eye of uh, two different colours, like David Bowie, um, which in this world indicates a very obvious genetic lineage or heritage. Yeah. Heavener, an another new contributor from the forum. Welcome. Good name. Uh, the most important aspect of the story that stayed with me even after I finished the game was the whole reveal around Unaleska and the Yevon religion. I was 13 when the game released and growing up as a Catholic, I had never questioned my faith. Then I played Final Fantasy X and it showed me how the world of religion of that fantasy world is not only extremely corrupt, but just an illusion, a false hope to keep the masses at bay and from despair. It was shocking to me at the time, and I remembered adopting a more critical view of religion in general, including my own. I mean, that is pretty profound stuff for that, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, yeah, yeah wow. Uh, it, it, there was probably going to be some text that came along into Heavener's life and, and provided that, what I would say, provided a service, <laughs> um, uh, shining a light on something that, yeah, I, you know, it's, it's, it's something, it's the way I feel about organized religion catholicism in particular um but it was final fantasy 10 for heaven that that helps him or her make that sort of leap which is yeah it's going to be a huge turning point in somebody's life t-bone 254 from the forum says uh, i'm a sucker for stories that include religion as a principal part of the narrative especially when it's examined critically from both sides which i believe final fantasy 10 does well the upper echelon of yevon's leaders keep their followers ignorant by banning access to information and technology that contradicts their beliefs. Many of the followers of Yevon remain willfully ignorant by refusing to critically examine their teachings and, in turn, they shun those that question the truth of Yevon. And every generation or so, they encourage their followers to become summoners and take up the pilgrimage so they can sacrifice themselves for the sake of others, for the greater good, so that Spira may live in peace. Along the way, maesters, these are the sort of priests, Encourage the summoners, promising a permanent place in history as that of a grand summoner. It's religion at its worst. But this isn't the only perspective the game takes. Like many real-world religions, Yevon may be corrupt, but its corruption doesn't come from the religion itself, rather from its leaders. Therefore, Yevon also does some good. The people of Spira are not ignorant of the sacrifice the summoners and their guardians must make, and they do their part to show their gratitude. The summoners are practically worshipped as prophets, with the citizens of Spira showering them with gifts and praise in an attempt to make their journey as easy as possible. Many of the communities never had the opportunity to truly thrive, and as such, Yevon provides a general sense of structure and identity, a commonality that all the people of Spira can identify with peacefully. Summoners also bring comfort to those that have lost loved ones by performing the sending, allowing the spirits of the deceased to pass on. But I think my favourite aspect of Ten's examination of religion comes in the form of Yevon's prayer. It's a bit comical. What the followers of Yevon see as a sacred expression of their faith was originally a trivial sports gesture that stood <laughs> for victory. Uh, the emailer, to segue into the actual more talk about the characters, uh, the plot ideas are interesting, but the storytelling and dialogue don't match up. 
which is a shame because I love the themes this game explores, how dogma and religious organisations can subdue the population versus the comfort people gain from faith. I think also the game does a decent job of dealing with grief. On the subject of the protagonist's name, as Titus's name, I always thought it was Titus, is never spoken aloud during the game because you can name your main character. You can't name the others, of course, in this one. You can name the summons, though, the Aeons. The correct way to pronounce it has been a constant debate among fans. In an interview promoting the game, his voice actor James Arnold Taylor pronounced it Tidus. In a scene in Kingdom Hearts 2, Selfie pronounces it Tidus. According to the developers, the former is the correct way. So it's officially Tidus. I always thought it was a water thing, but it's actually a, it's a word from a, a real language meaning something else that I can't quite remember. Apologies. So uh, I think we've, we've already heard what Leah, where Leah stands on, <laughs> on Tidus. So let's hear from Nerds Without Pants and then we'll let Leah have a proper go. <laughs> right. Nerds Without, nerds I'll, without I'll Pants. stretch. And I absolutely adore Tidus because he stands alone when compared to the rest of the headliners in Final Fantasy. Tidus isn't a brooding soldier. He's not a too cool for seed loner. He's certainly not a cocksure thief bring, brimming with confidence. No, at his core, Tidus is a dumb jock that's in way over his head. There's a purity to his character that is enhanced by nearly every member of the party, especially when he's in the mix with Aron or Waka. He's a little goofy, a little cheesy, but he's got a heart of gold. And from the moment he lays eyes on Yuna, he's ready to stand by her side always. That infamous laughing scene is always propped up as an indication of bad voice acting. And that has always annoyed me. Tidus is teaching Yuna how to laugh even when she doesn't feel like it. The scene is awkward and forced because, well, it's supposed to be awkward and forced. It's quite literally a fake it until you make it moment. And I think the voice actors do a marvellous job. I think it's a little too forced. I understand the the, uh, <laughs> the, uh, the sentiment, though. I understand what the what um, uh, nerds without pants was. It's, that's a great name. Um, was was saying <laughs> about it being it's supposed to be forced. And yes, absolutely. Yeah that that is that is uh, the probably the right way to read that scene. I'm just saying that Titus himself is doing a terrible job of fake laughing. <laughs> So maybe that means that the voice actors were actually very good, but it's still painful. To He's watch. certainly done a lot of work. Since I think. Then. I think for me, it's more that the scene is meant to be funny, and there's nothing more awkward in drama mm. or comedy <laughs> than the anti-laugh. Like when you're watching a bad, co when you watch like a really bad drama or action movie, there's something hilarious about that being bad. But when you're watching awful yeah. comedy. There's just like there's mm. like this feeling of like inward rot that you get when you're witnessing it, and <laughs> I heard this a lot recently in in respect of the uh, the Will Ferrell John C. Riley yeah. Holmes and Watson movie. Uh, I haven't seen Ooh. it, but it, people were talking about it like it it actually started to to rot them yeah. while they were watching it, and they they you know. I was just going to say, as someone who's performed a sizable amount of stand-up comedy, um, I know uh, that feeling that you're describing so well that it <laughs> literally just gave me goosebumps <laughs> when you were talking about it. Oh, man. Um, but no, that's exactly how that scene felt to me. It, um, I, I just, and everything with Titus, Titus and his time in Xanarkand and his interactions with his father, and specifically in the flashbacks with his voice as a child, like, they're... 
all of that does oh, not work for yeah. me at all. I mean, it, is that it's, a female actor playing a child? Is it, is it? I think it's that sort of thing. Yeah. Or it, uh, uh, yeah, possibly. It, I, it sounds like a grown up. At one point, I thought it was just the same voice actor. giving the same delivery but they had just sped it up to make the pitch higher like that's the way i felt like that's how i i that that those scenes could be cringe feeling it's a woman playing it but i could yeah it's hard to know it's yeah i agree it's terrible yeah it's not not good yeah Yeah. and and but the thing is it's in such stark contrast to some other parts of the the voice acting that i absolutely love too so it feels i i do think it does receive an unfair amount of attention when in the, in the grand picture of how much voice acting and everything else went into this game, yeah. but they are bad enough to really rise yeah. to the top of uh, it's like 30 seconds in a 55 plus hour game. So. I, 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 I spoke to a friend of mine over the weekend. He was asking what I was playing recently. I told him final yeah. fantasy 10, his exact words were <laughs> my old man. Like it, it, it didn't, it didn't take him a second to get into it. It's uh yeah, so, it's, it's memorably yeah. bad. And, that, that that inconsistency, I think, um, leaks into just the characters themselves in general. Alex seventy nine UK says, "I wish Tidus would stop referring to his dad as his old man. It's total cringe every time he says it. It sounds so out of place." Uh, there was a response from Magical Isopod who said, "I think this comes down to localization. He's probably disregarding his dad as Ojisan, which is a very punkish way of addressing your own family." properly localized he might say biological father in a dismissive tone or a sarcastic use of dad uh, during the english voice casting process it was originally proposed that tedus and yuna were to be voiced by known celebrities and were actually cast with two celebrity voice actors however it was decided that the story and characters would be a priority should be a priority so the idea was dropped i don't know if that was japanese uh, celebrities probably hmm well, that's interesting heavener returns and says my favorite character was lulu i loved her looks and her fighting style but above all her doll weapons were too adorable to ignore for a final fantasy series fan seeing cactuars and moogles and as walking dolls was so much fun kimari had such a great sense uh, uh, such a great design and story it was so disappointing that he sucked in combat in the end he always lagged behind someone else in terms of abilities or fighting role furthermore his ronso rage overdrive which is basically blue magic was cool, but so much weaker than Queena's blue magic in Final Fantasy IX due to it being an overdrive and therefore only rarely available. Uh, yeah, what do you think about the sort of the the visual designs of of the characters? Uh, our our own Thomas commented on the uh, almost irritating asymmetricality of <laughs> Titus's costume. Um, we've talked about uh, Lulu's dress, um, big blue mountain cat. Thing. didn't i mean i wanted to love him more than i did um it, you know i like the way he's so loyal and everything but um i, I never i never loved him like i loved yeah. red 13 i think i think they did him uh, his character like a lot of injustice in there i mean there there was opportunities i thought there were it could have been a much more interesting relationship uh with kamari and yuna and his you know his kind of protector role but i mean they literally committed ronso genocide you know, and, and and five minutes later, it's just kind of back to business as usual. Like, I feel like it just didn't seem he didn't seem very flushed out in any way, shape or form um, to me. And I, I'm i not quite sure why that is. Or maybe just like him in, in he internalizes it all just like everything else. But I don't know. There was some the the fights uh, with um, uh, Biram and I can't remember the other one. It's His just, rivals. Yes. His bigger, 
bigger horned rivals. You know? There were just there were moments there where, and I mean, they even give him that the the battle by himself. You know, they give they give him kind of this moment that it just it, it never really hit for me with him. Any other comments on other characters or the design, the aesthetics thereof? With the aesthetics, um, I think what Nomura is very famous for his belts and zippers. And I, Lulu, I think probably has the the She's award for most belts of any Nomura character <laughs> there is. Um, and weirdly, though, I kind I kind of like most of the designs in this game. I think where it falls down for me is not the main cast because I think the main cast largely look really great. It's the the side characters that end up looking a little bit rough for me. So there's this um, one summoner um, who's a rival to Yuna um, early on. Oh yeah, no the the models for the for the B yeah. characters are so yeah. inferior. Yeah, it to looks the, yeah. it yeah. looks pretty rough. Um, you, you and especially when there's there's you know those scenes where you've got the direct comparison. You know you've got the main cast member talking to some of the B tier characters, yeah. and you can see that like the eyes and the lips and everything is being animated on on the main cast face, yeah. and then it's just like painted on eyes for the for the 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 rest yeah. of the cast. What I will say is my recollection is I don't know if Brian will back me up on this but my recollection is that although that was somewhat noticeable in 2001 too it wasn't nearly as big a deal yeah. as it is now mm. partly we we're probably looking at it on bigger screens and with many more pixels on the ps3 and ps4 versions and also just the the state of the art has moved yeah. on hasn't it whereas back then it was like okay i get it those characters are minor characters but compared to other npc characters of the time they didn't look particularly outstandingly bad so but I think, yeah, what's happened is that over time, the the difference has become more yeah. pronounced. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I I thought that too. Playing through, I I also thought that they they kind of or cleverly or not cleverly solved that with the L bed just by having everybody wear goggles. Yeah, goggles. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so they didn't have that problem. So they seemed almost at first kind of like. Uh, you know, when you the first time you run them, almost more menacing because of it, or you know, more mysterious, and, and really, it just was a, a way to limit the character model. I thought. Just one one other thing on the aesthetics. Um, I I want to mention Sin um, itself because I love mm. the design of Sin as this monstrous mm. space whale, um, and the art, like the eyes, the way they kind of like. You know, um, with certain ins insects, they have like multiple eyes, but Compound they eyes. they actually move yeah. their 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 head inside their head. I'm not explaining this particularly well, but in order <laughs> to look around, and I like that there's these like flashing lights that are just moving across its mm. face in order to view things from certain angles. It really felt mm. um, it felt. Uh, beyond understanding like it felt like this cosmic horror um level threat and and they sold it uh, um in a way that they have they've never really managed to do with with their kind of last minute cosmic uh threats that they've had in final fantasy <laughs> 9 8 and and so many other entries um like the the feeling of gravitas that this creature has like when it lumbers around in the ocean and the you know, when it does its like weird like shield laser attack and all of that stuff it 
feels powerful. So credit, like I really, really love that design. Mm. And I also wanted to say it's odd to me watching there. You know, there's a certain amount of the CG cutscenes that I hadn't really seen before, and I hadn't seen any of them for 18 years or whatever it is, 17 years. It's odd that I think on a technical level, it had, you know, they they made another leap from Final Fantasies eight and nine, which had, you know, we we talked about the FMV on those shows and obviously people really remember a lot of those fmv sequences from seven because it was so formative but here it's uh, i guess we were just starting to get a bit more used to it and though you know the the incredibly uh expensive looking and sophisticated cg movies that were really a, a kind of mainstay of big budget playstation 2 titles intros i'm thinking of you know namco stuff soul caliber and all that kind of stuff it didn't perhaps it there's some there's some really cool and pretty scenes but they don't they don't seem to have gone down in the the sort of the annals of legend in the same way that mm. some actually technically you know lesser scenes from other games have gone down so more on the graphics from dusk versus tweak from the forum final fantasy 10 was one of the first games i bought with my ps2 and was a big reason i wanted the console at the time i couldn't believe my eyes with some of the cutscenes that opening Blitzball match and Sin Attack had me utter those classic words, games will never look better than this. And Rob25x said, one thing that struck me when I played the HD remaster on PlayStation 3 was how well the visuals had held up. Let's talk a little bit about the audio, usually a crucial part of the Final Fantasy experience. I'm not really, I don't move in the circles that the likes of our Thomas does, so I don't know sort of what the consensus really is on the soundtrack. Uh, I think there are some really excellent pieces in there. As I say, I don't know who composed which pieces. Um, I played the HD remaster with the arranged soundtrack on, although I've seen at least one comment saying, uh, advising people to stick with the original. I did have a quick play, and it, it seemed to me like the arranged version was kind of doing the job of sounding like the original, but just more sort of expansively produced. So I, di I didn't feel like it was stepping on the treading on the toes of the original but maybe purists will disagree uh but yeah some i don't know the names of any of the pieces but i thought there were some really lovely atmospheric pieces dotted throughout a few less memorable ones the battle theme is a little short for the compared to the length of some of the battles <laughs> it loops rather too often for my liking um and it's perhaps not quite the classic banger that some of the others are but uh but yeah overall i, I thought a lot of the music was great it certainly helped keep me playing for extended periods uh, I will say that I really like, um, I, I don't know, I also do not know many of the um, the names of the pieces, but uh, the one that I is actually up there among my favorite Final Fantasy tracks in general is uh, To Xanarkand, yeah. which is the one that, um, the the place that I can, I can definitely tell you you will hear it is, uh, it's in the kind of intro, um, yeah. that that piece is, yeah. uh, is, I love that piece. I, I'm a huge fan of the uh, the prayer to Yevon. Um, whenever yeah. you enter a temple and you hear that uh, chant, um, it's so... I, I don't know what it is, because I'm not a religious person myself, but it, it kind of... It does trigger that kind of mm. feeling of uh, mourning and, um, like, yeah. it, it's... 
timeless yeah, spirituality. It's this, like regardless mm. of your your own beliefs, there is something very spiritual mm. about it, and yeah, it's it's really effective. And um, and it, for you know a lot of the a lot of this game is about kind of mourning the deaths of thousands. So having that having something that's both kind of sad and beautiful, like this community, this group of people have gotten used to death so much that they've had to create something beautiful to kind of combat combat it. And that 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 prayer, that chant kind of evokes that really effectively. And and whenever it crops up, it's it's great. I think the island music, uh, specifically the Besaid Island, the classical mm. guitar kind of, uh, you know, beachy kind of composition. Yeah. I think that's just w- wonderful. I I have that one on regular rotation, listen to uh, on a regular basis. I think the soundtrack as a whole is 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 pretty ranks high up there for my personal um, thoughts about the Final Fantasy games. I I I have it in in the mix quite a bit. Um, the one thing that I think that it lacks a little bit um, mm-hmm. from some of the other uh, ser- titles in the series is that that it does have the chant theme and the you know the hymn of the faith that kind of plays over and over again. Um, it doesn't have as many. I don't want to say like like there's not one central song that you're hearing like a long composition that you're hearing all the time like a world map music for example that kind of yeah, connects no world Bern- map, so. <laughs> yeah exactly but i mean yeah. that, that doesn't it, there there was always in those in all the rest of final fantasy games there is that that world map music usually op- operates as that bridge between place and place and tune and tune so, so i think it yeah. loses some of the kind of the cohesion there but but each track taken individually, I think, is um, I, there, there's a lot of real excellent work there. Hmm. I wonder if that plays into the earlier conversation we were having about less, the individual locations being less memorable hmm. uh, because you don't have that buffer between them. Uh, just a thought. Final Fantasy X is the first game in the main series where the music is not exclusively composed by Nobuo Uematsu. Only a modern remix of the prelude is present, not the actual prelude. And there is no trace of the traditional A A A A A G G battle theme baseline, although the battle theme of Final Fantasy seven VII and eight does not start with by this baseline. There is trace of it in songs heard during some important boss battles. Also, it's the second game in the series where there is no presence of the Final Fantasy theme since Final Fantasy two. So yes, the world map is gone. Third drawing says the thing I liked about Final Fantasy ten is the lack of the open map. Compared to older titles in the series, but for me it really works. The whole idea of the game is that you're on a road trip going from place to place for Yuna to be able to conjure the final summon. It absolutely makes sense within the context of the game that you'll be following a linear path because the characters are on a prescribed journey with a final destination in mind. I disagree strongly with that because I think... Um, previous entries in the series have conveyed this same feeling without sacrificing uh, the openness and the sense of there being a living, breathing world outside of the path you're right. on. Um, mm-hmm. You know, seven, nine, eight, um, or uh, six, especially. Um, I think right. those games also have like a clear final destination and a sense that you're a group kind of going on this pilgrimage together 
and yet you are given the freedom to go off off the beaten path and 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 do other things if you want to maybe less less and less as the series goes along but it ha- like 10 kind of represents an extreme of that approach of kind of really funneling the player and um I think it makes up the difference in other areas that we'll get onto, but I really missed the feeling of uh, trawling across those open maps that I had come to mm. to really love um, about um, the you know all of the Final Fantasy games up to this point. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna counter counterpoint you just a little bit. I also think that it. It, it is missing something that Final Fantasy X doesn't allow you to do that. But mm. in the earlier Final Fantasy games that do allow you to kind of roam and do things uh, earlier on than you get to in X, it doesn't really make sense that you are doing them. Like in Final <laughs> Fantasy VII, when you get the option to go tackle Sephiroth and to go you know, up into that North Crater and you're wandering around doing chocobo races and, you know, just kind of... That doesn't really make sense. They should funnel you. I'm glad they don't because, you know, it it adds a lot um, to to the the gameplay and to the fun aspect of it. And I think that 10 probably could have opened you up a little sooner. But at the same time, I I get why they didn't. I... The thing that it takes away from me is just that sense that I felt in, you know, in specifically in seven and eight where I could just happen upon something, you know, like that yeah. maybe yeah. get someplace where I wasn't supposed to be yet or, yeah. you know, like a, a walk into, you know, enter a cave and there's, you know, just some some vendor in there and some little tucked away area of the world that, you know, it really felt like I was discovering, you know, for my own that 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 sense of discovery that Final Fantasy 10 doesn't really have at all. Like even even the the paths that you go off of to find oh, the treasure right. chests are clearly, pretty, you know, pretty it's like, Oh, there's going to be a chest up there. Cause there's yeah. a little path off to the right. I, that, that was one of those things that, that will, that kind of takes, takes away from final Fantasy ten as a whole, in my opinion, just cause it, I never felt like I was going to discover anything. Yeah. It depends. I think it, yeah, it depends on the kind of player you are and what you're in these games for. I think it must've been a big conversation they had internally about, about making that decision. You finally get to a big open field, uh, you know, uh, dozens of hours in, in in the calm plains. And it's like, oh, this is like, you know, Hyrule Field or something. And then actually there's not much there either. It's just a big open field um, with a it's, it's got a few extra bits and bobs in it. Um, but I suppose the, the, the weirdest part for me is that you finally get access to the world map, like right before the end of the game. Like you don't walk around it in the same way as you do in, in all its predecessors. But you have an airship and you can tell Sid, voiced by Mike McShane, where to fly. And then you can go to any of the previous locations in the game, pretty much. Uh, so you can dig out, you know, side quests and things that you haven't got around to doing before. There's also, you can actually input. I was going to ask if any of you who have played this game a lot know more about this. You can, uh, there, there's a, a sort of password option which uh, suggests that there are riddles in ruins that give you passwords that you can enter i don't know what that does for you uh and there's even like you can actually just sort of roam rather than pointing sid directly to locations you can roam a cursor over the map and give it gives x y and z coordinates um but i don't know what there's to be done with that so is there more to the world than the game takes you to yeah, there is some. You can, uh, at some times, um, 
the only one that I really remember password wise, and this is this is part of that strategy guide thing. I I don't know where you would have found it otherwise, but um, it's a lot of um like where you find uh ultimate weapons or the uh the uh, pieces that you need to kind of activate them. Like if you type in God Hand, it takes you to a chest that has Riku's weapon in it. Um, um it, it's that's the only one that I remember offhand. But um, but yeah, I mean you you can go places. It, it's it's kind of their substitution for being able to wander around and see things. And I I, I don't know that it works as well. Um, it's a lot easier to kind of checklist if you have a strategy guide, but that doesn't make it better. I don't think. I do mm. remember walking through, coming out of a Sade village for the first time. There was that path where above you, where you saw there was a save point, but you couldn't get it to in any way. And I know that you can input coordinates to go back to some of those places where there were, you know, areas where you couldn't access. I, I want to say I did that originally, but I think all of my adventuring with that was assisted by a walkthrough. I'm pretty sure, but I can't remember. Okay. So as always, you spend a good amount of your time playing Final Fantasy X in battle mode. The sort of breaks from tradition haven't been that, <laughs> that much. Uh, so sort of obvious in this sense in that it's recognizably a final fantasy battle you have three characters line up against between i guess three four five monsters um at most obviously sometimes a boss uh the changes here i suppose i know there are subtle changes in lots of different versions uh the active time battle system but here they've made an interesting decision which one which i like which is the fact that there is no time pressure anymore you can you can sit there on a screen and think about your next maneuver for as long as you want, uh, which I enjoy. There's no chance that you'll get overtaken by the enemy deciding to make the, its next move ahead of you. Uh, you can even see the turn order on a little diagram to your right. But on top of this, as well as that all being the case, it's also everything's just because of the, the extra technology. Everything's much snappier as well. Everything moves uh, even quicker perhaps than it did on in the 16-bit era, certainly than the PS1 games. And you can even sort of start attacking with your next character while a monster's still being hit from the previous attack. And um, if a, yeah, if someone's been attacked, you can almost do a sort of counter-attack while, while hammering the menu buttons as you go. Um, and you can also sub in members of your party on a whim in and out of the fight, and you don't even lose a turn for doing it. You get to carry straight yeah. on. Um, so yeah, there's a, there's a, there was a lot to like here and it audio visually, you know, it's all, all rather strong. I think I really love the, this battle system and I, I really like the, uh, the sphere grid, which I think we'll probably talk about here as well. We will. But, um, I, I am curious to hear because I always kind of took this as, as a, and everybody does this kind of thing. And I'm beginning to realize that it's not the case. I, I have. Every character fights in every battle yeah. for me. Like, I make it a point uh, to have everybody in at least once, whether it's doing something <laughs> like, like Titus's cheer or whatever. Because they, they are very, uh, they very much want you to use specific characters for specific things. Like, Waka is generally the only one, unless you get really lucky, who can hit flying things. And Lulu yep. is the only one who can, you know, take out things that are resistant to physical attacks. Um, but yeah, I, I have always made it a point to make sure that everybody gets in on every fight. So I, I was curious to see if I was the only one on that because I just thought it was a thing. <laughs> yeah, I, I, um, 
I think this is probably my favourite iteration of the traditional turn-based battle system in the uh, in the series, um, and and it's the it's the shining light in this game for me. I think it, it's it's easily my favourite aspect of this game, and what makes it, even though I have all these issues which you heard earlier, um, is why this game kind of goes down easy for me is because the, it's just so slick and smooth engaging with the combat system. And part of it is that swapping in and out of characters and a uh, a renewed focus on enemies' weaknesses and strengths and um, really emphasizing, right, we want you to constantly be changing characters and we want you to be looking at the enemies and immediately recognizing, right, that enemy is for Auron, that enemy is for uh, uh, Tidus, that enemy is for Waka. Yeah. And just constantly flitting between them, and it made it. It felt like because before in Final Fantasy Nine and and seven and and eight and and six, I had my party. I had the the team yeah. that I would default to, unless forced to other mm-hmm. otherwise. That I were my go to uh, my go to team. With this game, because of the way it's structured combat it forced me to experiment and play with everyone and it felt so much deeper because of that cuz I, I like if wacker was a character that i couldn't swap in and out i would never have used wacker cuz i just find his his whole shtick really obnoxious and i wouldn't i wouldn't but because he's so integral to kind of taking out flying um enemies and um, enemies that are a bit further back and and stuff like that um I used him and he was great. He's a he, in combat, maybe not as a person, but in combat he's fantastic. And yeah, yeah. and just um and, and and I think the way the 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 um the overdrives work as well. I know we're getting onto this as well. Just yeah, um uh just have having the overdrives really uh kind of focus in on some of that stuff like i i like that um auron's always going to be the damage dealer he's always going to be the heavy hitter um but whereas like wacker has that kind of roulette ability where you get a little bit of choice about how um how you're going to re- you, how you're going to affect the the enemies on the screen and all of that stuff I just think everything in the combat, everything about the combat is really well considered, um, really well balanced, and and made me think tactically all the time. And it never really felt like I was in a situation where I was just tapping X all the time, which is what inevitably happens with a lot of these JRPGs. Yeah. I felt like I was making informed decisions from beginning to end. But why does it still ask me? to do so many of these battles (laughs) the same ones over and over and over and over again like i enjoy leveling up in these games i do Uh, and i can i can tolerate the grind in games like these for a while but and i know this is an 18 year old game but i've been you know working towards those final bosses the last couple of days and uh and just the the number of action points you get from each fight becomes less and less uh, a percentage of what you've already got. So it takes longer and longer to get more uh, movement on your sphere grid 
to activate more nodes. And I just don't, I still feel like, and I, I understand this is where this genre is not popular with some people at all, whereas I really want to love it and I have a lot of good times with these games. I just wish they could be truncated somewhat. So even the remasters of, of Final Fantasy X don't do what some of the other remasters and, and uh, re-releases have done, which is to allow you to speed up combat or turn off random battles or stuff like that. So there's some really, there's some areas in this game with, I would say, really quite high uh, encounter rates yeah and even though the paths through these areas are not massively labyrinthine you can still end up getting turned around say up the mountain and whatever there's a couple of unintuitive bits where you feel like you should be climbing but you actually need to go down or back on yourself so i ended up like you know spending an extra hour or two in there obviously it's good in the sense that you're getting more ap or whatever it is but i just i just wish that this game these games would be balanced so that you didn't need to do all the extra fights, the hundreds potentially, or thousands of extra fights to get all your characters' stats up so much higher because it's just repetition at a certain point. Like, it, I totally agree with you, Josh. Like, it's a lot of fun thinking about each individual enemy and your playable characters and the status effects that they can do and what's weak to what and what's strong to what. But it comes down to it you have the same fights against the same enemies multiple times and i'm saying this is somebody who's got to the end game with really underpowered characters yeah. <laughs> it's like this part of the problem i managed to get through unaleska but uh only by having re you know pre-charged up all the overdrives on my aeons uh, without that i yeah would have been sunk basically so i just yeah it's just such a frustration like i so wanted to do this series for for the show but this this aspect of these games is ultimately what stops me from finishing them or in this case slows me mm. down well what i will say and this is i whether you want to call it a tip or just what i tend to do mm. um tips welcome I, yes so i the the final fantasy games and really the jrpgs in general that i tend to enjoy I don't like grinding when it's just running around in circles getting into encounters. I agree. That's boring, and I don't like it. Some yeah. of these games want you to do that. Final Fantasy II is one of my least favorites for that very reason, because yes. you can't go anywhere unless you have run around in tiny circles for a couple of hours. Yeah. But I find that uh, 10 actually strikes a pretty decent balance for me personally, because mm. it does offer a lot of side things that you can go do. And if mm. I have those to do, even even though effectively you are doing the same thing, you are, you know, going through areas that you've been through before in and just getting into encounters, I mm. find that if I am after those things, you will get the experience kind of along the way. And usually there's some yeah. kind of reward, you know, whether you're sure. going after a specific weapon or a, an extra Aeon or something like that. I find that this game does a pretty good job of that for me. And I mean, obviously it's work. not going to be for everybody, but it, it mm. that that's that's kind of how I landed on this because the first time I played it I got up to the end game and I just could not I was just not prepared I had to go back out and do yeah. other things because I just I, I, my characters were not there but um mm. yeah that that's that's kind of where I stand on it um I I totally understand the uh feeling of you know maybe it should have uh, along the main path had a little bit more to do that wasn't just um leveling up or grinding but uh yeah mm. 
No, that would totally work for me. I think part of my problem is it doesn't really let you know where a lot of this stuff is. That and is true. This is something that goes along with all the games in the series that we've covered so far, which is stuff like getting... I understand now, I've played enough of these games to know that it's a thing that you're kind of seeking out every character's best attacks and best weapons and like they're, they're, they are hidden away. And I understand that fans of the game will want those to be kept something of a secret, but you need to throw a few breadcrumbs for me. Like I've played, I've been playing these games for a long time, not as much as, as you, Leah, but, and yet I'm still, I feel every time I go into one, I'm kind of in the dark about how I get hold of the best stuff yeah. or, um, you know, and I could just look it up, but I again, I went into this game thinking, no, no, I'll play it. I'll play it the proper way. I'll, I kept a guide at hand mm -hmm. to, you know, point me in certain directions. But as always, every time with this with this series, I got to a certain point where I look at the walkthrough because I'm stuck or whatever, and it says, right, what you need to do here is cast this, 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 and this, and then keep doing this to this character and attack this guy with. And I'm like, I don't have any of that stuff. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's it's <laughs> tough, and I, I wonder. I, I have no proof of this, but I wonder if sometime around the Final Fantasy nine and ten era would have been where like they really started having an incentive towards requiring strategy guides. Um, yeah. Anybody who's played twelve before will uh, know what I'm talking about here. But there is one thing in Final Fantasy twelve that we'll get into on that actual show that like you had to have a strategy guide to know about this. There was mm. no way. Um, right. But like it. it there, it's not that there's no way to know about some of this stuff. It's just that you would have to get so much more detailed in a game that is already, you know, fifty or sixty hours long. Yeah, it's it, and I get, I guess, I kind of get that. You know, they want it to just be for, they want it to be special. But it, I, I, I do agree that, yeah, it's it's tough sometimes. I, I think there's I, a balance to be struck between, I, yeah, the old golden arrow and the well, you work it out or yeah. buy a guide, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I wimp out and buy guides most of the time. So yeah. It's, it's yeah. Yeah. Maybe thing. I should just be less proud about not following a guide, but I kind of want to let the game yeah. teach me uh, without needing the online stuff or the book or whatever. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I keep falling into the same traps over and over again. So hmm. one of the little thing is, uh, and I've, I think we see these again. I seem to remember from playing a tiny bit of some later games in the series on demo or whatever. Uh, sort of triggers or events where you can uh, actually attack things in the environment to uh, change the tide of the battle or uh, or talk to a character to get a stat boost and stuff like this. Um, does this add anything? For I mean, it's, it's interesting. Uh, you get like little, it, it kind of makes some of the battles like some of the ones against Seymour more, not quite more interactive, but you get a little bit more flavor in them if you if you choose to kind of take some of these dialogue options that you can call up. There's a neat one in the final boss where, uh, well, I mean, I guess it's kind of the second to last boss where Titus can actually talk to Jack to kind of calm him down from hitting his overdrive meter. It, it, uh -huh. it lends, it gives some opportunity there to inject some more storyline to the actual fight itself, but it's used so infrequently that um, I, I honestly, aside from that one and then... Uh, and then the one on the ship, uh, the Elbed ship, I can't, I can't remember um, anymore. Yeah, there's one where you pick up something and drop it. There's another one where you fire up a generator by hitting it with lightning. Yeah. The, oh, yeah, that's uh, right. A couple of, couple of bits like that. So the Aeons, this game's summons or whatever they've been called in various different games, uh, some of them are familiar. Ifrit's back, Shiva's back. 
there's a few, Bahamut's back, but there's a few ones that I'm not familiar with bef uh, before. The Major Sisters, uh, Yajimbo, uh, Valafor or Valefor, I don't know. Um, and again, this is a case of me probably being really stupid and rubbish. I've only got five, I think, um, at the end of the game, but it turns out there's one, two, like nine or something, <laughs> loads of loads of them I've never heard of and dark versions. Uh, how did I miss these? Where do you get them? They're <laughs> mostly side. They're mostly yeah. side. Um, the Magus right. sisters who are, I think I maybe Yojimbo. I'm not sure, but definitely the Magus sisters have been in earlier games um as mm -hmm. summons or uh or aeons or what, whatever they were called in in any particular game they have yeah. been uh, i don't mm. believe that valifor was or ixion well mm, i'm not sure about ixion lightning horse yeah yeah i mean they, they there have been various lightning summons but i don't know yeah. about i don't know if ixion has definitely been one it's of interesting them. they made the choice to yeah add some new ones take yeah. you know completely different ones keep leave a few in there so there's like obviously this is connected to Final Fantasy by lots of mechanics and items in the game. But here they didn't just go with the same set. Uh, there's, yeah. And as, I mean, again, uh, this is just m the corner for me being thick, but I just didn't even, again, the game didn't give me any indication that there were more Aeons than the ones that you were making your pilgrimage to collect. How would I have even known? Yo, Jimbo, they actually they actually discourage you from going down there. It's it's in the comlands and pay him. Yeah, yeah, it, it's in the comlands. Yeah. But like, there's down in the back. It shows the path to the bottom where the sin, the last sin battle happened. And Lulu literally tells you to not go down there. So if you don't, oh, you won't get him. But if yeah, you go but... down there, you get like this whole side story about Lulu's original guardian. Who I mean, she her original summoner who had died in this cave. And it's um, it, there's a lot down there but it the game literally discourages you from going there the one of the main characters tells you to go the other path so it's also where I, uh, where you get Auron's final weapon um yeah but yeah that's that's actually where i am in my playthrough right now i'm sitting in that cave about to go get yojimbo but um I, yojimbo rules i love yeah yojimbo. he's he's great um but yeah it's 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 tough because you you kind of have to that is something that you kind of have to stumble into i don't remember where you get anima where do you get anima um because I know it's a side sort of thing, because you, you, well, so, little tangent about Anima. Mm. Uh, Anima is uh, one of the first summons that you see that is not one of Yuna's summons, because Anima is the, the Aeon that Seymour summons, and... Um, That's right, yeah. Yeah, and that ties into kind of how... Of, of what the summons are. They are uh, basically people who have given up their lives to become the faith. And then the faith and the summoners call the Aeon. Is that how this works? The Aeon is like the that. Aeon and the faith. Or, I think, I think that the faith is like the soul of the Aeon basically. And I'm sure that I'm probably getting that completely wrong, but um, at, at any rate, um, so these, these actually were once people who are, uh, who are now serving as these, um, as these uh, Aeons that you call upon in battle. And, Anima is Seymour's mother, which I always found to be pretty messed up because not only does he call her, uh, you can then get her later on. Uh, and yeah, that's uh, quite quite hmm. the thing. It's one of those uh, coordinates you have to put in on the map. Oh, is to it? Get okay. Anima. Oh, okay. Um, you go to a temple and do a trial. Right. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, 
Yeah, Anima, I, I think that that's my favorite character design in the game. Anima's absolutely terrifying. <laughs> that, yeah, oh yeah, Anima's That first Blitzball game where Seymour summons uh, Anima is just, it's, I, I remember that, that being pretty terrifying. Mm-hmm. I, I think all the Aeons are really well designed. Um, it, it was mentioned earlier by one yeah. of the uh, one of the con- contributors that Bahamut is particularly great in this game, and I, I have to agree. Like they even went on to use a version of this design in the Advent Children uh, Final Fantasy VII movie. Um, cl- cl- mm. So clearly, someone on that movie mm. um, also really liked this design. Um, yeah, it's really strong, and some of the animations as well. I'm a big fan of uh, Shiva's uh, finger snap when she does her overdrive oh, attack, really good, yeah. which is great. Yeah. Um, and I think the decision just to have them be a more active participant on the the battlefield is a really, I, it was a really wise kind of evolution of summons in previous games. Mm. They feel more, they feel like they have more versatility and utility now. Um, and they're great, like, if you're in a bit of a pinch and you're like, ah, oh, this could go bad any second. I'm going to summon uh, somebody just to give me so- a little bit of breathing room, um, so get some damage in, and then uh, if the summon passes away, I can just get some healing in quick. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah, really, really great. I also really like that that you can tell that Yuna has a relationship with her summons. Like, I, the one, it's a little thing, but, like, when she... When she summons for the first time, um, mm. and you can you can turn on short summons, which I you should um, if you're going to use yeah. them a lot. Watch but, them um, all once, but yeah. but yeah, I mean that that's what it does. It gives you the full summon the first time, and then it shortens yeah. them uh, after that. But um, when she calls down her Aeon, she will yeah. like say something to it, or she'll you know acknowledge it in some way. It, and the one, yeah, it. I was going to say the Valfour one is my favorite because very she sweet. just pets it on the neck. It's like it's a cat or something. It's very cute. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, she's she's you know. She's not just taking them for granted. They're not just a weapon to her. They are something, they are par- partners, essentially, that she is using to, you know, help her in these battles. Yeah. And I like uh, that. boss fights normally have a way of expelling your Aeons uh, fairly swiftly, but normally you get in, uh, you'll get one attack if you bring one into play. And if you've pre annoyed them enough <laughs> to, uh, to start the battle with a fully filled bar, you can, uh, you can hit there sort of uh, major attacks and uh yeah that's quite devastating but it would be more devastating if i had like twice as many aeons <laughs> uh, there you go yeah you should, uh, you should look up some of those guys they're pretty good yeah sounds like it but now i can hit the whole world map the time is rushing on obviously we've got to talk about uh the sphere grid but just quickly on equipment is unusual here because you've just got the two items uh, a, a one single defensive item or one single attacking item um, and you get a lot of them drop there, there's a lot of drops of these throughout the game you find some good ones but a lot of them are somewhat um, procedurally generated from fights and the thing is some of those can be quite good you can buy them as well but uh, they have customization slots uh, which Riku can add uh, at a not insignificant cost of items yeah, uh, she can add function to them, so you can make some much more potent attacking and defensive items. If you get a four slot item and are willing to spend the coin to buy the gear or steal the gear to upgrade your your kit, you can end up with some some rather nice gear that will 
yeah, potentially prevent multiple statuses and inflict multiple statuses as well. Um, I did get, you know, this was where I was thinking I'm going to be okay in the late game because I'm micromanaging this stuff. Uh, turns out I just needed to go and load a side quest. But uh, but again, this is where if, when you combine this stuff with the sphere grid uh, and actually looking at what your characters, uh, what you're, you're nabbing for them abilities wise, there's there's uh, a good amount of depth here. Yeah, um, I will say that I didn't do a ton of customization, but once you land on like a, a a set of abilities that you really like, you don't have to change weapons that much. I mean, you you certainly can, but the weapons don't have stats of their own. It's what the slots tell you their stats yeah. are. Yeah, yeah. I found myself. I settled into kind of a gear set for every person. Maybe maybe. Th- 30 hours in and didn't really deviate from it much unless I yeah. knew a fight coming up I needed a specific resistance um, so I tried to keep kind of one of every resistance around that I would just pick up from yeah, a random battle um, but uh, but yeah no I I, I got into the you know, in kind of into the uh, customization a little bit more this last time and and was you know trying to steal elixirs from everything possible because I mean they they really do um, the the item cost on those can be significant especially is, yeah. if you're um, if you're relatively early on when you start doing this you can use a lot of your spheres and kind of for a little while for the sphere grid some of those spheres are, are in limited supply but then it, yeah. you eventually get to a point where you're just maxed out on all of them yes yeah that sphere grid then alex 79 says the sphere grid was interesting and a pretty neat way of leveling up although i could never shake the feeling of wondering whether i was taking characters on the right path i did end up looking up a few things online the game doesn't do an amazing job of explaining everything well actually you are kind of railroaded with most of the characters to an extent it doesn't feel like it uh, but actually kimari's sphere grid is the only one that doesn't have a predetermined course um now the emailer says and I remember this option coming up at the start of the game. The regular sphere grid is a decent system, but the expert system in the international release and subsequent releases is brilliant. Rather than passively leveling characters, the player can choose how to mold each character in both the micro sense of activating a sphere and the macro of their overall direction. It can transform a niche character like Riku into a jack of all trades option. You can also kind of do that with a standard sphere grid. It just takes a lot longer. Okay, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can work your way around like it's a, a massive board game or something. The way the sphere grids are, are laid out and and the different character paths, that, like obviously, for for example, Lulu is black magic. So you can you can kind of plot out your course of, you know, what what spells are coming when. And you can really use that to your advantage if, you, if you're like, say, you, you really you want to focus on magic. And that, and you want her to become this beast of a magician, like you can just be, you know, just pu- putting all sorts of AP in her to get to get her to the spells that you want. And then it gets really interesting later in the game where you can use the ability to activate abilities that other characters have activated. Because right. by the by the end of my game, Yuna was by far my best character. I she because I used my black magic spheres in order to have her learn all the the level three Full magic blown sorcerer spells. kind of thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. so she so she just became an absolute beast. And I having that you know having that you know maneuverability within the sphere grid i think really it made me think a lot more about leveling up rather than just fill the bar the numbers go up leo i believe you're a fan of this system i am yes i i uh i like it's very satisfying to me to be able to just kind of check off the little (laughs) bubbles essentially on on your way around Yeah, yeah and um 
And then, you know, you can, to a certain extent, cause, and I, I've never actually used the Expert Spear Grid. Uh, I, I should have tried it this time around, ah. but I decided to stick with the, uh, the one that I knew. Uh, but, yeah, you can, um, once you, especially once you start getting things like Teleport Spheres, uh, you can move your characters into different paths. So, I mean, like, if you wanted to make Riku extremely strong, you can teleport her into Auron's path and just have her go down that. Um, same thing. Yeah. Kamari, Kamari's it, basically it's how Kamari works, but for everybody is is a little bit how that works. Kamari has a very small section that is his path essentially, and then you know you you get to pick where he goes. I I took him down Riku's path because I wanted to have somebody else who could use items, um, and and steal you know as as a secondary option. But uh, it's it's interesting to me that you can really dig down on certain characters if you want to but you also have that option to kind of make them all really good there it's it's possible to take one character through all of the spheres it's yeah it would be really difficult but uh, you could do it uh, very briefly as time gets away from us the temple trials alex 79 uk says it would be remiss of me to post my thoughts on the game without mentioning the god awful trials in temples <laughs> pick up ball push block put down ball my word they were boring and frustrating a real low point of the game i would tend to agree they yeah, have a I couple of moments them. but they're not exactly zelda quality no. dungeon yeah puzzling are they i like them aesthetically they're very cool looking but yeah right. i don't i don't love the the actual puzzle mechanic mm. at least they didn't have random encounters oh at the god same that would have been oh that would have been awful. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah if it was if it was final fantasy early doors oh yes you'd have had both at the same time no doubt there's where where we had sort of ccgs in the last couple of games uh which sort of set the the trend for there always being a another game to play within your final fantasy they went for something completely different this time with a kind of weird semi real-time semi turn and stats based sports simulation of that game that is like a cross between water polo or volleyball and basketball and harlem heroes from 2000 ad <laughs> but in a pool uh, it's Blitzball. Um, as I said, back in 2002, I played quite a lot of this. I didn't love it, but for me, it had the non-abstract of not being a card game. It had the sport thing, and I get that. I get you want to score more goals than the other team. All the stats are up on screen at any one time, so you can kind of see the actual the dynamics of it are almost non-existent, um, and it was even stodgier playing the PAL version on PS2 back in... 2002 so it was really slow and quite turgid but i managed to get into it uh this time around i played two matches of it because of time but i was actually i was actually thinking hey this is actually not as turgid as it was back in the day but um it still got problems mainly that the it's the whole uh mechanics versus visuals thing so you'll be swimming along merrily but then you stop to you press a button to take a shot or a pass and then miraculously three people are surrounding you <laughs> and then you go to pass the ball behind you but those three people all get a chance of blocking the ball even if they're in front of you and it's all a bit kind of hmm uh it could have been so much better i think is the thing 
Um, but I can totally understand if some people just want nothing to do with this whatsoever. So I'm not I'm not much into sports um, in general. I think that makes a difference. I'm not sure that it does because I don't mind that it's sports. I mind that you don't have any control over your characters. Like when you are mm. defending, you can do absolutely nothing. It's spreadsheet the game and I don't like it. <laughs> that's all, that's the... all the combat in Final Fantasy. <laughs> uh, kind, kind of. But I played I mean, a lot of it yeah. back in the day. Uh, but it, yeah, yeah. I, I I played some of it this time through. Uh, not a, not not a lot of it. It's it doesn't help that the first time you get a chance to play an independent blitzball game, it puts you against an impossible to beat opponent. The first time you put, play a league game, you have to play against the Al Bed team, and they are like loads of levels over you. So I just I, yeah. I it's one of those things that it, like can kind of put you off with frustration at the beginning, but eventually Titus just becomes unmatchable and he can do his jack shot and just, you know, the more you play it, the, the more fun it gets. Yeah. uh, I would say it, it, it's deliberately starts. It's like, it is very much like as somebody who's played a million football games, it is like starting off with the, or the worst team, the lowest division side. And you, you have to, you have to play some to have a chance of I just feel like I'm not making any progress because I really wanted to go through it it's uh blitzball is how you get Waka's final weapon and I really wanted to do that uh-huh. but I just I feel like I'm not I've played maybe a half a dozen games and I've won one like I it's just really frustrating I feel there's like I'm not tip- getting any better there's a tipping point and you also you can recruit people around uh, which I think yeah. is quite a neat neat uh, sort yeah. of idea but yeah, I can. T- I uh, I would never like, not that that's what we do anyway. But I can, I would never try to persuade someone who didn't like it that it was fun because I, I can totally <laughs> imagine why a lot of people would despise it. And I, as I say, even as an apologist for it, I didn't think it was actually brilliant. I just I'm glad that it, it works for people, but it does not work for me no. at all. <laughs> uh, there's also a bit of uh, you get to ride around on a obviously. Riding around in chocobos is a Final Fantasy thing going way, way back with little 8-bit chocobos. But here you finally get to ride around on a big polygon rendered colourful chocobo. You just have to jump through a few quite annoying hoops to get there. Uh, I did spend, it was probably only about like 15 minutes in total doing the ridiculous tests that you have to do to get uh, <laughs> to get the chocobo in the one field in the game in which you're allowed to ride a chocobo. <laughs> Um, But what I didn't do is go on. So you have to wrangle a chocobo that won't do what it's told, basically, and avoid obstacles. And it's quite, uh, quite infuriating, but it's not. Yeah, I didn't find it massively challenging. But then apparently there's more. There's more, which after the training, it goes to racing. Leah. (sighs) So, (laughs) yeah, so this is this is another one of those to get someone's ultimate weapon Uh, in order. So there are there are several uh, chocobo races uh, or trials that you can go through. I think you only actually have to beat the first one to get the license, right? Yeah, uh, you have three lessons that you have to beat. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I, I, you know, I went through all of that, and I, I gave, I, I, I maybe did half an hour's worth of attempts on the last one. So uh, the the final race uh, is how you get Titus's ultimate sword. And uh, what you have to do is race the Chocobo trainer and get a time of zero. Um, So in order Mm -hmm. to do that, what you have to do is um, every balloon that you pick up subtracts X amount of time off of your uh, off of your uh, time. And Mm -hmm. every bird that hits you adds a certain amount of time. 
So you have to pick up a number of balloons while avoiding all the birds and also, you know, going through the course as fast as you can. I have never managed it. Um, I know that people have. I know that it's a thing that is completely possible to do, but it's it's infuriating. So I stopped. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'm not I'm not a fan of chocobo racing. I, I don't know how much more time I want to put into that. I will probably go back and give it another couple of shots, but I just I just don't know. That's some of the final weapon stuff is real rough in uh, in this game. Hmm. See, also dodging 200 lightning bolts to get loose. Oh god, I haven't Why even tried 200? that one yet. Why 200? It's <laughs> a lot. There's, That's a lot of lightning bolts, and if you miss one, you have that. to go back and yeah. start again. Oh my goodness! Yeah. That's horrendous. Yeah, I was going to say about, I was looking at the trophy list. Uh, and Some of those trophies are, yeah, wow. You're not going to get them. No. I mean, we were just talking about how long it would take to complete the sphere grid for every character. Yeah, yeah. and isn't that, that one of the trophies? Yeah. That yeah. is a super rare, uh, yeah, on according to true trophies, it's got a ratio of 2.7. So it's like three times or getting on for three times as hard as a normal trophy or, yeah. you know, depending on how you view that system. But I notice there's also a couple of other things which I assume are like the post-game or late-game extra bosses, Nemesis and uh, Penance. Uh, yeah, I believe those are actually ones that were added in the HD or maybe in the international versions that yeah, then carried probably. over to HD. Uh, that's mm -hmm. another one that like I have not done. Um, yeah. I, I've tried. I think I tried Penance. I don't believe I ever even got to Nemesis. But like no. even just the Dark Aeons are really tough. Or maybe actually these? maybe penance is the one that you actually have to beat all the dark aeons to get. So maybe Ooh. I haven't done that. Goodness me. I don't I don't recall, but I, I can tell you for sure that I have never beaten either of them. Uh yeah, so the the completion platinum trophy uh, is yeah, TT ratio of two point eight. So Ooh. not many people have that. Josh O'Brien, did you ever attempt the extra extra monsters? No. No, no. <laughs> All right, uh, Ashman86 from the forum says, when I look back on Final Fantasy X, I don't remember it with the same level of fondness as I do 7, 8, 9, or 12. I rank it relatively low on my list of favourite games in the series, and I've never gone back to replay it, even once since that initial completion. When the remaster launched, I snagged a copy on Steam, but I've never so much as installed the game. Maybe it's middle child syndrome, sort of. The PlayStation games were my gateway into the series, and 9 had practically perfected the PS1-era JRPG formula. Final Fantasy XII would dramatically change the formula and find a special place in my heart because of that. Final Fantasy X was wonderful, but maybe it never struck me in this, with the same sense of wonder as those other games, or maybe my reluctance to replay it, due in part to the fact that I'd so utterly completed it the first time, simply meant that I never got the chance to solidify how I felt about it in the way that I had its predecessors, in some self-perpetuating cycle of forgetfulness and a fading hindsight through less than rose-tinted spectacles and dusk versus tweak i'm a final fantasy 10 advocate through and through it's in my top three for the series and it's the one i recommend to someone looking to get into final fantasy blind having a decent balance of classic and modern gaming elements i'd suggest more classic than modern <laughs> but mm. uh yeah it was uh it was the it was another step on the on the way for sure uh Quite a number of people reviewed the game in just three words for us, so let's rattle through these. Blue Weasel Breath, protagonist not relatable. Blue LA mm -hmm. says, Teenage Me Sad. Tom Red 89 says, Titus or Titus? 
Joseph Finn 87 says, Woman dates dream. Bearfish Pie says, Epic daddy issues. Kay Houston 413 says, My old man. C Corrigan 86 says, Giant fish dad. John Belt says, Dadzilla cult tragedy. <laughs> Spins a yarn says, Never won Blitzball. Anarcho Gamer says, Blitzball Simulation RPG. Lance Parkin says, Awesome Belt Skirt. Magical Isopod and Misery Antics both said, uh, I can't do the voice, but uh, <laughs> this was the character that reminded me of some Star Wars prequel nonsense. Oh, God. Uh, yes. Ride Z Shoe Puff. <laughs> Carl DPM says, Learn to Laugh. Uh, Kez86 and Craig, Craigity Craig both say, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> That's good. Invisible Kraken says, that laugh, though. Uh, Jacinto Saints says, best Shiva snap. Nobuo Yogami says, wouldn't have left Besaid. Kuda mm. <laughs> Gravy says, brave new world. Will Cross says Elia Vimo, which I looked up and is Albed for I Can Fly. Yeah, there's a translator. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and finally, Not a Fire Exit says Just a Dream. Works both ways, that. Okay, uh, well, I'll go first with my brief summary because I've broken the rules and cheated the game and I have to fire myself. And So I've still not finished Final Fantasy X. I have very mixed feelings on it overall. It was, I'm not really sure why I dropped it. I think uh, actually back in 2002, it was almost exactly around the time I got together with my girlfriend, my still girlfriend, when this came out, when I was playing this. So that probably explains why I didn't go back to that boss that I got <laughs> stuck on uh, in 2002. Um, not that I stopped playing games, of course, but uh, yeah, maybe I got distracted and <laughs> All these years later, 17 years later, finally playing the PS4 version. Uh, have I enjoyed it? Yeah, in part, I'm increasingly finding that I'm frustrated with certain elements of the Final Fantasy formula. And weirdly, as they change some elements, it's the elements that I have the biggest problem with that they, they hadn't changed up to this point. I've said before, I know context is important and this is not a natural way to play these games. We're playing them when they're already very old. We're playing them back to back, uh, two months apart at a time. But I just don't think there's any need to be so demanding in terms of making the player repeat the same actions over and over again to get to a point where you can actually tackle the later game stuff. That's not the interest. The interest for me is the, the actual dynamics and the puzzle the strategy of the battles not working that out and then doing it over if you over and over if you did that if other games asked you to do that in the same way i think uh people would not be kindly disposed towards it although having said that maybe that's kind of what shooters do and other action games in their own way as well um so yeah i enjoy the the art the music um i think the story has some great ideas perhaps falls down in the delivery but it's a yeah, it's a big tall order. It's a big ask, and as we've just seen from the true trophy stats, uh, not even that many people get to the to the late game. Uh, even looking at the kind of normal completion, it's quite a rare one. 
And now I'm at the late game, I can see why. But I will definitely finish it. I have to have closure. I will finish it off. But I think uh, the rest of the crew will probably have kinder and, and more fulfilling things to say about the game. Uh, don't know who goes next, Josh. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I I really like Final Fantasy X overall, but I think it suffers a lot from being uh, very early on in the PS2 generation. A lot of the same problems, in fact, Final Fantasy VII had um, um, on on the PS1 uh, are cropping up here. I think where the two games differ and and where and why I I love um uh 7 a great deal more is just 10 in in the kind of in, in its focus on taking advantage of the new technology that um the PS2 brought um you know opening up to kind of voice acting and um you know, more detailed animation and all of that stuff, kind of focusing in on that and then deciding to sacrifice some of the the openness. Um, they lost some of the identity of the world and the and the universe that they've created. Um, and Seven is just dripping with personality and um and while it has localization issues of its of its own um the um the the character models are inconsistent in a lot the same ways that 10 is <laughs> it's that sheer force of personality that just just rams its way through all of those uh negative issues that you could bring up and and it ends up being uh, a firm favorite regardless um, whereas ten is very much a game where, as more time passes, um, the less and less fondly I, I look back on it. I think the combat system still holds up and is a real joy, um, but I am very much looking forward to moving on to Final Fantasy Twelve in the next issue um, uh, because it's such a departure um, from what the series has done in the past. Um, and uh, a brave one. So um, it's been great playing these turn-based um, traditional JRPGs, um, but I'm excited to try something a bit different now. Leah? I really like Final Fantasy X. Uh, I hadn't played it, uh, like I said, my trophies were from 2015, so it's been about four years since I played it the last time. Um, and gosh, hearing... Hearing that it's 17 years old is a thing that, like, I knew in my brain, but I hadn't really processed it, I think. This is not... Wow, it's it's kind of an old game now, and I think it holds up. Um, I Depending on what the individual person I was recommending to uh, liked, I would say that it's probably one of the easiest recommendations, either this or nine, um, to someone who had not played Final Fantasy before and wanted to get in on some of the older ones, maybe. Um, I, I think that it it does uh, have some features that probably are outdated uh, and that can make it harder for people who are used to newer games um, or who just don't have a lot of time. I mean, it, this is a time-consuming game as well. Um, Despite that, I think that it's relatively easy to get into. I think that the visuals hold up very well. It still looks great, even, and you know, there are HD versions of it available 
Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it looks even better for those. Uh, I, I like the sphere grid. I like the combat system. It, it plays very well and it feels like it flows very well. And for the most part, the story is at least interesting. If not, you know, it's not perfect. And some of the localization is a bit scattershot in places, but it's, it turns out pretty good, even if Titus does say my old man a lot. And um, I, I mentioned briefly before that I had been keeping track of how many times he says that. The answer is uh, I'm at hour 30. I'm somewhere between hour 35 and 40, and I have counted 24 instances of my old man so far. Possibly 22, because two of them are actually Yuna's old man that he still says. Um, so, you know, uh-huh. take, take that as you will. But um, I, I promise to post my final count on Twitter when I have it. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I recommend Final Fantasy X um, pretty much unreservedly. I think, I think that people should try it if you have access to it. And um, I, I, I believe that this is still a good game. Brian. Um, yeah. I, my, my, my thoughts on Final Fantasy X are, are pretty conflicted. Like everybody else's. I, I really enjoyed the battle system and the sphere grid. Like we already talked, already talked about. I, I don't think this, I mean, the story without a doubt goes off the rails at the end. There's and I don't think there's a Final Fantasy that can claim that it doesn't, but I, I thought the the story was relatively focused for most of it, and I knew what was going on, and and, and that made me a little bit more invested than some of the other uh, mainline entries in Final Fantasy, where I just felt lost completely. So I did appreciate that. Um, I just I think that it just lacked that certain whatever that connecting factor was that that makes it, you know, in my in my like personal memories of of the greatest games i've ever played there's there's something keeping it from there for me personally um it's a little hard to identify playing it through again now um i think it's a a really easy and approachable game to go back and play because there's so many different ways you can now play it and if you have any love for jrpgs and their development through time you should definitely if you haven't played it yet you definitely should um but as far as you know is it something that i could really look back on with with nothing but positivity i can say that i really enjoyed my time spent with it but um uh, so, sometimes i definitely felt like i was forcing my way through it rather than uh enjoying all the ride okay excellent thank you everybody so we've done 10 10 to uh, is next no, sorry <laughs> don't tease the don't tease the listeners <laughs> Maybe someday in the future. We've had a lot of requests don't for, the, threaten the listeners. for the side series, but I might sit those ones out. Anyway, although, I've, you know, got 10 too, maybe I should play it. Feels a bit daunting right now. Anyway, folks, it remains for me, Leon, to thank Brian, Josh and Leah and all our excellent correspondents, Editor Jay, and to all of you for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, rate, review. Best of all, patreon.com slash Get every show a week earlier than the free version usually extended definitely this one will be longer on the patreon beyond the two hours that we do for apple podcasts and you get an exclusive monthly podcast too and next time in issue 374 we poke and prod at what the good game bakers whisked up for us in our fury podcast